Chapter Twelve Point Three of the Nine Eleven Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leanne Howlett. The Nine Eleven Commission Report. Chapter Twelve Point Three. Prevent the Continued Growth of Islamist Terrorism In October 2003, reflecting on progress after two years of waging the global war on terrorism, Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld asked his advisers, Are we capturing, killing, or deterring and dissuading more terrorists every day than the madrasas and the radical clerics are recruiting, training, and deploying against us? Does the U.S. need to fashion a broad, integrated plan to stop the next generation of terrorists? The U.S. is putting relatively little effort into a long-range plan, but we are putting a great deal of effort into trying to stop terrorists. The cost-benefit ratio is against us. Our cost is billions against the terrorist costs of millions. These are the right questions. Our answer is that we need short-term action on a long-range strategy, one that invigorates our foreign policy with the attention that the President and Congress have given to the military and intelligence parts of the conflict against Islamist terrorism. Engage the Struggle of Ideas The United States is heavily engaged in the Muslim world and will be for many years to come. This American engagement is resented. Polls in 2002 found that among America's friends, like Egypt, the recipient of more U.S. aid for the past 20 years than any other Muslim country, only 15% of the population had a favorable opinion of the United States. In Saudi Arabia, the number was 12%, and two-thirds of those surveyed in 2003 in countries from Indonesia to Turkey, a NATO ally, were very or somewhat fearful that the United States may attack them. Support for the United States has plummeted. Polls taken in Islamic countries after 9-11 suggested that many or most people thought the United States was doing the right thing in its fight against terrorism. Few people saw popular support for al-Qaeda. Half of those surveyed said that ordinary people had a favorable view of the United States. By 2003, polls showed that the bottom has fallen out of support for America in most of the Muslim world. Negative views of the U.S. among Muslims which had been largely limited to countries in the Middle East, have spread. Since last summer, favorable ratings for the U.S. have fallen from 61% to 15% in Indonesia and from 71% to 38% among Muslims in Nigeria. Many of these views are at best uninformed about the United States and at worst informed by cartoonish stereotypes, the coarse expression of a fashionable Occidentalism among intellectuals who caricature U.S. values and policies. Local newspapers and the few influential satellite broadcasters, like Al Jazeera, often reinforce the jihadist theme that portrays the United States as anti-Muslim. The small percentage of Muslims who are fully committed to Osama bin Laden's version of Islam are impervious to persuasion. It is among the large majority of Arabs and Muslims that we must encourage reform, freedom, democracy, and opportunity, even though our own promotion of these messages is limited in its effectiveness simply because we are its carriers. 
Muslims themselves will have to reflect upon such basic issues as the concept of jihad, the position of women, and the place of non-Muslim minorities. The United States can promote moderation, but cannot ensure its ascendancy. Only Muslims can do this. The setting is difficult. The combined gross domestic product of the 22 countries in the Arab League is less than the gross domestic product of Spain. Forty percent of adult Arabs are illiterate, two-thirds of them women. One-third of the broader Middle East lives on less than two dollars a day. Less than two percent of the population has access to the Internet. The majority of older Arab youths have expressed the desire to immigrate to other countries, particularly those in Europe. In short, the United States has to help defeat an ideology, not just a group of people, and we must do so under difficult circumstances. How can the United States and its friends help moderate Muslims combat the extremist ideas? Recommendation The U.S. government must define what the message is, what it stands for. We should offer an example of moral leadership in the world, committed to treat people humanely, abide by the rule of law, and be generous and caring to our neighbors. America and Muslim friends can agree on respect for human dignity and opportunity. To Muslim parents, terrorists like bin Laden have nothing to offer their children but visions of violence and death. America and its friends have a crucial advantage. We can offer these parents a vision that might give their children a better future. If we heed the views of thoughtful leaders in the Arab and Muslim world, a moderate consensus can be found. That vision of the future should stress life over death, individual educational and economic opportunity. This vision includes widespread political participation and contempt for indiscriminate violence. It includes respect for the rule of law, openness in discussing differences, and tolerance for opposing points of view. Recommendation Where Muslim governments, even those who are friends, do not respect these principles, the United States must stand for a better future. One of the lessons of the long Cold War was that short-term gains in cooperating with the most repressive and brutal governments were too often outweighed by long-term setbacks for America's stature and interests. American foreign policy is part of the message. America's policy choices have consequences. Right or wrong, it is simply a fact that American policy regarding the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and American actions in Iraq are dominant staples of popular commentary across the Arab and Muslim world. That does not mean U.S. choices have been wrong. It means those choices must be integrated with America's message of opportunity to the Arab and Muslim world. Neither Israel nor the new Iraq will be safer if worldwide Islamist terrorism grows stronger. The United States must do more to communicate its message. Reflecting on bin Laden's success in reaching Muslim audiences, Richard Holbrook wondered, How can a man in a cave out-communicate the world's leading communication society? Deputy Secretary of State Richard Armitage worried to us that Americans have been exporting our fears and our anger, not our vision of opportunity and hope. Recommendation just as we did in the Cold War, we need to defend our ideals abroad vigorously. America does stand up for its values. The United States defended and still defends Muslims against tyrants and criminals in Somalia, Bosnia, 
Kosovo, Afghanistan, and Iraq. If the United States does not act aggressively to define itself in the Islamic world, the extremists will gladly do the job for us. Recognizing that Arab and Muslim audiences rely on satellite television and radio, the government has begun some promising initiatives in television and radio broadcasting to the Arab world, Iran, and Afghanistan. These efforts are beginning to reach large audiences. The Broadcasting Board of Governors has asked for much larger resources. It should get them. The United States should rebuild the scholarship, exchange, and library programs that reach out to young people and offer them knowledge and hope. Where such assistance is provided, it should be identified as coming from the citizens of the United States. An Agenda of Opportunity The United States and its friends can stress educational and economic opportunity. The United Nations has rightly equated literacy as freedom. The international community is moving towards setting a concrete goal. To cut the Middle East region's illiteracy rate in half by 2010, targeting women and girls and supporting programs for adult literacy. Unglamorous help is needed to support the basics, such as textbooks that translate more of the world's knowledge into local languages, and libraries to house such materials. Education about the outside world or other cultures is weak. More vocational education is needed, too, in trades and business skills. The Middle East can also benefit from some of the programs to bridge the digital divide and increase Internet access that have already been developed for other regions of the world. Education that teaches tolerance, the dignity and value of each individual, and respect for different beliefs is a key element in any global strategy to eliminate Islamist terrorism. Recommendation. The U.S. government should offer to join with other nations in generously supporting a new International Youth Opportunity Fund. Funds will be spent directly for building and operating primary and secondary schools in those Muslim states that commit to sensibly investing their own money in public education. Economic openness is essential. Terrorism is not caused by poverty. Indeed, many terrorists come from relatively well-off families. Yet when people lose hope, when societies break down, when countries fragment, the breeding grounds for terrorism are created. Backward economic policies and repressive political regimes slip into societies that are without hope, where ambition and passions have no constructive outlet. The policies that support economic development and reform also have political implications. Economic and political liberties tend to be linked. Commerce, especially international commerce, requires ongoing cooperation and compromise, the exchange of ideas across cultures, and the peaceful resolution of differences through negotiation or the rule of law. Economic growth expands the middle class, a constituency for further reform. Successful economies rely on vibrant private sectors, which have an interest in curbing indiscriminate government power. Those who develop the practice of controlling their own economic destiny soon desire a voice in their communities and political societies. The U.S. government has announced the goal of working toward a Middle East Free Trade Area, or MEFTA, by 2013. The United States has been seeking comprehensive free trade agreements, FTAs, with the Middle Eastern nations most firmly on the path to reform. The U.S.-Israeli FTA was enacted in 1985 
and Congress implemented an FTA with Jordan in 2001. Both agreements have expanded trade and investment, thereby supporting domestic economic reform. In 2004, new FTAs were signed with Morocco and Bahrain and are awaiting congressional approval. These models are drawing the interest of their neighbors. Muslim countries can become full participants in the rules-based global trading system as the United States considers lowering its trade barriers with the poorest Arab nations. Recommendation A comprehensive U.S. strategy to counter terrorism should include economic policies that encourage development, more open societies, and opportunities for people to improve the lives of their families and to enhance prospects for their children's future. Turning a National Strategy into a Coalition Strategy Practically every aspect of U.S. counterterrorism strategy relies on international cooperation. Since 9-11, these contacts concerning military, law enforcement, intelligence, travel and customs, and financial matters have expanded so dramatically, and often in an ad hoc way, that it is difficult to track these efforts, much less integrate them. Recommendation The United States should engage other nations in developing a comprehensive coalition strategy against Islamist terrorism. There are several multilateral institutions in which such issues should be addressed. But the most important policies should be discussed and coordinated in a flexible contact group of leading coalition governments. This is a good place, for example, to develop joint strategies for targeting terrorist travel or for hammering out a common strategy for the places where terrorists may be finding sanctuary. Presently, the Muslim and Arab states meet with each other in organizations such as the Islamic Conference and the Arab League. The Western states meet with each other in organizations such as NATO and the Group of Eight Summit of Leading Industrial Nations. A recent G8 summit initiative to begin a dialogue about reform may be a start toward finding a place where leading Muslim states can discuss, and be seen to discuss, critical policy issues with the leading Western powers committed to the future of the Arab and Muslim world. These new international efforts can create durable habits of visible cooperation as states willing to step up to their responsibilities join together in constructive efforts to direct assistance and coordinate action. Coalition warfare also requires coalition policies on what to do with enemy captives. Allegations that the United States abused prisoners in its custody make it harder to build the diplomatic, political, and military alliances the government will need. The United States should work with friends to develop mutually agreed-on principles for the detention and humane treatment of captured international terrorists who are not being held under a particular country's criminal laws. Countries such as Britain, Australia, and Muslim Friends are committed to fighting terrorists. America should be able to reconcile its views on how to balance humanity and security with our nation's commitment to these same goals. The United States and some of its allies do not accept the application of full Geneva Convention treatment of prisoners of war to captured terrorists. Those conventions establish a minimum set of standards for prisoners in internal conflicts. Since the international struggle against Islamic terrorism is not internal, those provisions do not formally apply, but they are commonly accepted as basic standards for humane treatment. Recommendation the United States should engage its friends to develop a common coalition approach toward the detention and humane treatment of captured terrorists. 
new principles might draw upon Article Three of the Geneva Conventions on the Law of Armed Conflict. That article was specifically designed for those cases in which the usual laws of war did not apply. Its minimum standards are generally accepted throughout the world as customary international law. Proliferation of Weapons of Mass Destruction The greatest danger of another catastrophic attack in the United States will materialize if the world's most dangerous terrorists acquire the world's most dangerous weapons. As we note in Chapter 2, Al-Qaeda has tried to acquire or make nuclear weapons for at least ten years. In Chapter 4, we mentioned officials worriedly discussing in 1998 reports that bin Laden's associates thought their leader was intent on carrying out a Hiroshima. These ambitions continue. In the public portion of his February 2004 Worldwide Threat Assessment to Congress, DCI Tenet noted that bin Laden considered the acquisition of weapons of mass destruction to be a religious obligation. He warned that Al-Qaeda continues to pursue its strategic goal of obtaining a nuclear capability. Tenet added that more than two dozen other terrorist groups are pursuing CBRN, chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear materials. A nuclear bomb can be built with a relatively small amount of nuclear material. A trained nuclear engineer with an amount of highly enriched uranium or plutonium about the size of a grapefruit or an orange, together with commercially available material, could fashion a nuclear device that would fit in a van like the one Ramsey Youssef parked in the garage of the World Trade Center in 1993. Such a bomb would level Lower Manhattan. The coalition strategies we have discussed to combat Islamist terrorism should therefore be combined with a parallel, vital effort to prevent and counter the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction, WMD. We recommend several initiatives in this area. Strengthen counter-proliferation efforts. While efforts to shut down Libya's illegal nuclear program have been generally successful, Pakistan's illicit trade and the nuclear smuggling networks of Pakistani scientist A.Q. Khan have revealed that the spread of nuclear weapons is a problem of global dimensions. Attempts to deal with Iran's nuclear program are still underway. Therefore, the United States should work with the international community to develop laws and an international legal regime with universal jurisdiction to enable the capture, interdiction, and prosecution of such smugglers by any state in the world where they do not disclose their activities. Expand the Proliferation Security Initiative In May 2003, the Bush administration announced the Proliferation Security Initiative, PSI, nations in a willing partnership combining their national capabilities to use military, economic, and diplomatic tools to interdict threatening shipments of WMD and missile-related technology. The PSI can be more effective if it uses intelligence and planning resources of the NATO alliance. Moreover, PSI membership should be open to non-NATO countries. Russia and China should be encouraged to participate. Support the Cooperative Threat Reduction Program Outside experts are deeply worried about the U.S. government's commitment and approach to securing the weapons and highly dangerous materials still scattered in Russia and other countries of the Soviet Union. The government's main instrument in this area, the Cooperative Threat Reduction Program, usually referred to as Nunn Lugar, after the senators who have sponsored the legislation in 1991, 
is now in need of expansion, improvement, and resources. The U.S. government has recently redoubled its international commitments to support this program, and we recommend that the United States do all it can, if Russia and other countries will do their part. The government should weigh the value of this investment against the catastrophic cost America would face should such weapons find their way to the terrorists who are so anxious to acquire them. Recommendation Our report shows that Al-Qaeda has tried to acquire or make weapons of mass destruction for at least ten years. There is no doubt the United States would be a prime target. Preventing the proliferation of these weapons warrants a maximum effort. By strengthening counter-proliferation efforts, expanding the proliferation security initiative, and supporting the cooperative threat reduction program. Targeting terrorist money. The general public sees attacks on terrorist finance as a way to starve the terrorists of money. So initially did the U.S. government. After 9-11, the United States took aggressive actions to designate terrorist financiers and freeze their money in the United States and through resolutions of the United Nations. These actions appeared to have little effect, and when confronted by legal challenges, the United States and the United Nations were often forced to unfreeze assets. The difficulty, understood later, was that even if the intelligence community might link someone to a terrorist group through acquaintances or communications, the task of tracing the money from that individual to the terrorist group, or otherwise showing complicity, was far more difficult. It was harder still to do so without disclosing secrets. These early missteps made other countries unwilling to freeze assets or otherwise act merely on the basis of a U.S. action. Multilateral freezing mechanisms now require waiting periods before being put into effect, eliminating the element of surprise and thus virtually ensuring that little money is actually frozen. Worldwide asset freezes have not been adequately enforced and have been easily circumvented, often within weeks by simple methods. But trying to starve the terrorists of money is like trying to catch one kind of fish by draining the ocean. A better strategy has evolved since those early months, as the government learned more about how Al-Qaeda raises, moves, and spends money. Recommendation Vigorous efforts to track terrorist financing must remain front and center in U.S. counterterrorism efforts. The government has recognized that information about terrorist money helps us to understand their networks, search them out, and disrupt their operations. Intelligence and law enforcement have targeted the relatively small number of financial facilitators, individuals Al-Qaeda relied on for their ability to raise and deliver money, at the core of Al-Qaeda's revenue stream. These efforts have worked. The death or capture of several important facilitators has decreased the amount of money available to Al-Qaeda and has increased its costs and difficulty in raising and moving that money. Captures have additionally provided a windfall of intelligence that can be used to continue the cycle of disruption. The U.S. financial community and some international financial institutions have generally provided law enforcement and intelligence agencies with extraordinary cooperation, particularly in supplying information to support quickly developing investigations. Obvious vulnerabilities in the U.S. financial system have been corrected. The United States has been less successful in persuading other countries to adopt financial regulations that would permit the tracing of financial transactions. Public designation of terrorist financiers and organizations is still part of the fight, but it is not the primary weapon. 
Designations are instead a form of diplomacy, as governments join together to identify named individuals and groups as terrorists. They also prevent open fundraising. Some charities that have been identified as likely avenues for terrorist financing have seen their donations diminish and their activities come under more scrutiny, and others have been put out of business, although controlling overseas branches of Gulf area charities remains a challenge. The Saudi crackdown after the May 2003 terrorist attacks in Riyadh has apparently reduced the funds available to Al-Qaeda, perhaps drastically, but it is too soon to know if this reduction will last. Though progress apparently has been made, terrorists have shown considerable creativity in their methods of moving money. If Al-Qaeda is replaced by smaller, decentralized terrorist groups, the premise behind the government's efforts, that terrorists need a financial support network, may become outdated. Moreover, some terrorist operations do not rely on outside sources of money and may now be self-funding, either through legitimate employment or low-level criminal activity. End of chapter 12.3 Recording by Leanne Howlett